0: Hi there, I'm Ruby Jones, the host of 7am. Over this long weekend, we're highlighting some of the most important episodes of the show. Today, we're bringing you an episode that was hosted by our editor, Osman Faruqi, on the anniversary of the Christchurch massacre. It's part one of a three part special that we made, and it's reported by Elle Marsh, in a position supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and Ideas. To make this episode, Elle went to Christchurch, where she met with some of the survivors of the attack. She found that many of them are still facing economic uncertainty and isolation and are struggling to rebuild their community. This is White Terror, Part 1, 35 Widows.
1: From Schwartz Media, I'm Osman Faruqi. This is 7am. A year ago this week, a 28-year-old Australian man walked into two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand and killed 51 Muslim worshippers. I'm the editor of 7am, and this week I'll be filling in for host Ruby Jones as we cover the aftermath of Brenton and Tarrant's massacre. From first-hand reporting in Christchurch to secret government documents exposing the threat of far-right terrorism in Australia, we'll explore the legacy of this horrific act of violence and the lessons we've learned, or are yet to learn. Today, part one, 35 widows. A warning, this episode contains detailed descriptions of violence. So this is about Christchurch. I remember I had left my office in Sydney CBD and was walking to meet a friend for lunch in Chinatown. It was around midday. I was checking my phone as I walked and I saw some posts on Twitter about some kind of incident in Christchurch. It wasn't really clear yet what was going on, but there were reports of a shooting. After lunch, I checked my phone again, and more details had filtered through. There had been an attack in Christchurch. They weren't sure how many perpetrators were involved, but they had targeted a mosque. And as soon as I heard that, my heart started racing. There was one attacker. He had posted white supremacist slogans on his weapons. He had attacked two mosques. We still didn't know how many people were dead. I actually remember running back to my office because I was desperate to find out more. I had these two instincts driving me. I'm a journalist who spent a lot of time investigating the far right and if this was an act of white supremacist violence, I wanted to know the details. But I'm also someone from a Muslim background so I was feeling this personally. I remember receiving messages from friends warning me not to watch the live stream of the massacre. They knew that I'd be tempted despite how harrowing it was. But I couldn't help myself. Remember, lads, subscribe to PewDiePie. I don't know if it was out of anger or hopelessness, but I started watching the video. I was sitting at my desk with my headphones on and my colleagues were getting on with their work and occasionally glancing at the TV for news updates, but I was fixated on my screen. It was all filmed from the point of view of the shooter as he drove to the mosque, walked in and started gunning down those people inside with deliberate precision. Men, women, children, the elderly all lined up neatly row after row with their backs to the entrance. I've never been to Christchurch but I'd been in rooms like this hundreds of times praying in the same way. It was a scene that I was familiar with. To this day, that video is the worst thing I've ever watched, and I haven't been able to get those scenes out of my head. I grew up in Australia. The fact that an Australian could do something like this, it was the first time that I felt I could be killed in my own country just because of my religious background. While I was watching the video, I started getting messages and calls from my Muslim friends terrified about what was happening in Christchurch. They all felt the same thing, like we could be next. Cool. You ready to go? Yep. El, you're a producer here at 7am. Tell me about the story you've been working on.
0: Yeah, so um, the past couple of weeks I've been working on this story about the anniversary of the Christchurch attacks.
1: Through your reporting, you met this man, Muhammad Shahadat. Can you tell me about him?
0: A couple of weeks ago I met Muhammad Shahadat in Christchurch. Mohammed. Yeah. Hi, oh, yeah, nice right. to meet you. you to the, the Thank store. you. I'll take my shoes off. Yeah. I went to his home and we met there over some plates of samosas that his wife had cooked. This is so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this weather you do eat like this one. <laughs> wow, you know? And yeah, he he told me his story. First off, maybe we should start with, can you tell me your name and your age? And tell me about your family. Hi, I'm
2: Mohammed Shahadat. My age thirty one.
0: So Shahadat, which is the name he prefers to go by, he's thirty one, and he's married with four kids. And he's from India, southern India originally. And in two thousand and eighteen, he he started looking for a place to migrate and make a better life for him and his family.
2: I like actually New Zealand. I see lots of videos in in YouTube and nets. So really, I like New Zealand's very peaceful countries and. Decent.
0: And so. In November 2018, he got a job working as a chef at an Indian restaurant in Christchurch, and he received a, a working visa and, and moved to New Zealand.
2: What's, what's it called Bawarchi restaurant. Indian oh, okay. I should go try it.
0: Yeah, First
2: please, please, yeah. <laughs>
0: Like most of the staff at the restaurant, Shahadat had, had left his family back in India and, and his plan was to bring them over once he was a bit more settled. So, you know, his substitute family became the people that he, he worked with every day and most of them were, were migrants like him. So, you know, he had a pretty busy but, but good life in Christchurch, working at the restaurant, boarding with a colleague and, and just sort of settling into his new home.
1: Al, can you tell me what Shahadat was doing on March fifteenth, two thousand and nineteen, the day of the Christchurch massacre?
0: So on that day, um, Shahadat and his colleague went to the Linwood Mosque together, and they were running a little bit late, but they made it just in time for for prayers or salah, and they walked in and and took their place on the prayer rugs and and started their prayers. About 20 minutes into his prayers, at about 1.50 p.m., he heard loud bangs outside.
2: So we actually we heard the sound bullets, and, but some people didn't expect it. either.
0: He wasn't sure exactly what was happening and, and some of the people in the mosque continued to pray.
2: All people, the performing continuous Salah, Salah, continue.
0: But then bullets started flying into the mosque and, and that's when people realised that there was someone shooting at them.
1: And what did Shahadat tell you happened next?
0: So he remembers crawling on the ground, trying to find his phone to to call an ambulance, but he couldn't. He couldn't lift his right arm, and and that's when he realised he had been shot.
2: Just like that. So when I tried this one, so I realised, oh no, it's not working. No power, nothing.
0: So... He looked up and through the glass doors he could see the the gunman outside was shooting into the mosque bullet.
2: i tried to move with this set i jump actually at this set and try to go corner and it be safe maybe there is lots of people in corner there
0: the whole attack only lasted a matter of minutes it ended when one worshipper went outside and, and chased the gunman before picking up a shotgun that the attacker had had dropped and hurled it at his car, smashing the windscreen. And, and that's when the gunman drove off.
1: So the gunman drove away after being chased out of the out of the area by a worshipper. What was happening to the people at the mosque at that moment?
0: Yeah, so Shahadat had been shot and he was losing blood fast. He, he mainly just remembers wanting and needing water.
2: I asked the doctor, give me some water. I need water because it's very dry. I'm going to die going to die I need to water didn't
0: someone had made a call to the police and emergency services and when they arrived people at Linwood realized that it was the second mosque that had been attacked that day in Christchurch
3: breaking news unfolding in Christchurch where there have been two separate shootings at two mosques
1: the first attack happened at the Al Noor Mosque the second at the Linwood Mosque
2: and i want to ask anyone that was thinking of going to a mosque anywhere in New Zealand today not to go, to close your doors until you hear from us again.
0: The shooter, before coming to Linwood, had gone to the Al Noor Mosque, which is about five kilometres away and he had walked inside shooting dozens of worshippers and had live-streamed the whole thing.
3: After the shooting, after he emerges out of the mosque, he says, and you can hear him on camera saying, that did not go to plan. I should have stayed longer. There was time for fuel. I would
0: have liked to have burned the mosque to the ground. And as you could see... Shahadat was one of 100 people shot that day. 49 were injured, another 51 were killed, and the victims ranged in age from... Three years old to 77.
1: Those numbers paint an incredibly bleak and distressing picture. It sounds like almost everyone in Christchurch's small Muslim community would have been impacted in some way.
0: It's had a huge impact and, um, you know, for Shahadat, he can't work as a chef anymore and he's, he's permanently injured from the attack.
2: I lost my hand, right hand. We actually chefs. We are working right hand mostly cutting and cooking. You know Indian cuisines. Nowadays, very hard for actually my life. I can't do same same work, same performance. I can't do. Mm. Not possible.
0: That's obviously awful enough on its own, but you know it's particularly awful because he was the breadwinner for his family, and you know he's got a wife and and four kids. And I discovered that that's actually quite a common thing. Many of the people injured and killed were actually the main income earners for their families. So the impact on the community was devastating.
2: So we are struggling more in future. It's coming soon, future. It's very hard to me yeah. to face everything. Yeah.
0: The attack left 35 people widowed. And it's important to remember that this is a community made up of refugees and migrants and some of these widows have limited English, they can't drive, they're isolated, they don't work and they have young children to care for. With the person they were relying upon gone, what do they do?
1: We'll be back in a moment.
3: The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read The Saturday Paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story.
1: Elle, the Christchurch attack was one of the biggest massacres in modern history, but it wasn't just devastating because of the large number of people killed and injured. The attack targeted a community that was particularly vulnerable because it was largely made up of migrants without established networks of support. Why is that significant when we're talking about the consequences of something like this?
0: Yeah, so what is happening to the community is in many ways hard to track, but I was speaking to Noor Hamid Hi, Noor. This is Elle. How are you? Good. How are you? Can you hear me okay?
4: Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah.
0: And her story sort of helped me understand a little bit more about how far-reaching the consequences were. Noor Hamid, she's in her late 20s, and her family is originally from Palestine. And her family ran a a local food store in Christchurch called Mefco.
4: So we bought Mefco... Probably around 2013 2014. Um, it was bought by my dad and my uncle. Um, so my uncle was
0: it provided specialty food items like baklava and Lebanese bread to the Arab community in Christchurch.
4: And yeah, my uncle was pretty much the guy in charge up until you know last year, um, because he he passed away in the shooting.
0: Her uncle, Amjad, was killed in the attack at the Al-Noor Mosque.
4: After that, it was really, like, me and my dad were the only people left from the family, like, that were in the country, so we kind of... So
0: she and her family tried really hard for months after March 15 to keep the shop going in the wake of the attacks.
4: And then all of a sudden to go from that to being like, hey, you're the only person in Christchurch, like, run the shop, um... It was quite difficult. It wasn't very easy. Um,
0: when I spoke to Noor, she had just been with the liquidators at the store explaining how to dismantle their specialty baking equipment because the store had gone bankrupt.
4: You know, it's like this huge amount of sadness that comes through. You know, a lot of people are just not there anymore to a lot of people feeling very, very upset about what happened, um, you know, falling into a bit of a depression over it. Um, like, nobody really thought, like, something like this could happen
0: in New Zealand. Seven people worked at MEFCO, and they were all, you know, close family friends with the owners, and, you know, they've now lost their jobs as well.
1: Elle, I I think a lot of people want to hear a story of a community rebuilding after a tragedy, and to some extent that has happened in Christchurch, but it sounds like actually the community is still really struggling as well. After spending time there, what's your sense of the way people are coping?
0: Yeah, so everyone I spoke to was really overwhelmed by the way the community in New Zealand had responded. There has been a huge recovery effort. But, you know, there's, there's questions now about if that's going to be enough to support this community and these people over the coming months and years. I met with Raf Manji. He's a former local councillor in Christchurch and, and he conducted an extensive listening project. As part of this project, he, he was trying to find out what the community really needed in the aftermath of these attacks. So Raf told me that as hard as the past 12 months have been, there's going to be some really big challenges ahead.
1: So the first anniversary, then we've got the trial. So next year looks pretty full on in terms of trigger points, and I just
0: had... And so all of this risks re-traumatising a community that's, you know, still in recovery. Points,
1: And I just had got the sense people hadn't really thought that far. I mean, I think they really thought we've got everything under control, Mm. and I think it was clear to me that this is not under control, and that if you read the
0: literature... Noor Hamid, she told me that, you know, when she hears about shootings elsewhere in the world, she just falls apart.
4: You know, before this happened i i could watch that on tv and not be affected and just be like okay that's gets real fucked how can someone do that um but afterwards like it just makes me go to pieces so I mean, it doesn't really matter like if it's uh you know this school shooting in america or um you know the hookah bar that happened in germany it's just like how can you do that to another family
1: Well, thanks for your reporting on this. Thank you. Hearing these stories, what really struck me was how so many of the survivors, like Shahidat, had come to Christchurch for a better life. And that's why they were targeted in this massacre. And it didn't end with the massacre. A year on, the community is still recovering. They're isolated and facing serious economic hardship. Terrorism is not just one act. It's a continuous act.
3: Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Mementa. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonachella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com.